All right. Well, thanks, Andrew. And I've gotten to meet a few of you, but uh, I just want to say uh, I'm, I'm, it's a real privilege, actually, to, to get to be here this weekend with you all, talking about missions and about uh, what the Lord has called us to do. And uh, I uh, just, just really feel honored and privileged. I don't feel like a complete expert in the area of missions. I'll, I'll just be perfectly honest with you. Um, it's something that we, I as a church planter, and our church are continuing to learn. And so um, my hope also is that uh, we, as we do this, we've got some exercises where we're going to interact one with another some. And my hope is also that I learn some things from you all as you think about sharing the gospel and, and what that looks like in your own community. So um, let me start by telling you just a little bit about uh, our church, uh, UPC Lake Nona. Uh, Lake Nona is actually in Orlando, and I've got a map up here, which is probably a little bit hard to see. But um, if any of you have been to the Orlando airport, um, that's kind of where Lake Nona is. We're about, um, the, the other way I describe it is we're about 20 minutes uh, from downtown, which is a little bit north of us, and we're 20 minutes from Disney World, which is a little bit south of us. We're kind of right in between both of those areas. But Lake Nona is an up-and-coming community in, uh, in the Orlando area, and it's being developed pretty rapidly. And what's funny about the area is that uh, when you go there, it looks like a bunch of big open fields with massive buildings in the middle of them. Because uh, there's this organization called Tavistock that's actually developing the area. And so this is, a, this is actually one of the hotels that just went into our area in Lake Nona. And it's got this artistic like tower, which uh, I'm not even sure what it's made out of, but it flashes up different pictures and different things all the time. And, uh, and as you look at it, you're like, wow, this is an amazing hotel. And it's sort of in the middle of nowhere, which is sort of what, uh, what Lake Nona is like right now. But it's developing all over the place. The, the big attraction to Lake Nona is, is um, uh, actually the, uh, the medical schools and the medical community that's going in there. And so this is the University of Central Florida's medical school that's there. And so there's a number of medical students, people coming there to study medicine. And uh, we've got a few of those medical students that actually come to our church. And, um, and a number of doctors and other things like that as well that, uh, that are there in the community. There is a, a huge children's hospital called Nemours that I've actually toured through and met their chaplain over there, and it's, it's unbelievable. Um, but uh, as, as you may picture from Lake Nona, medicine and the medical community kind of go hand in hand. That's a big part of what they're developing in Lake Nona. Um, this is actually our, our uh, VA hospital. It is enormous. <laughs> it's, it, if, uh, actually, if you take the 417 and you pass exit uh, 19 on the 417, you will see this. It's like a mile off the road, but it's so massively big that, uh, that you can see it in the distance as you pass through Medical City. The other thing that's going on in Lake Nona is they're developing um, uh, a lot of athletes. And this is something that they're building, which uh, is actually a 100-court tennis facility. And they're going to train professional tennis athletes there in Lake Nona. It's one of the biggest tennis facilities in the entire country. And so this is going to be pretty much in my backyard. It's just across the street from where I live. And, uh, and so it's, it's just a really fast developing community. A lot of people moving in there all the time. And so it's an ideal place for a church plant. This is a picture of what's coming. It, it doesn't look like this yet, but this is what they're long-term. This is going to be downtown Lake Nona. That's going to be a movie theater and see a lot of shops, a lot of uh, business and a lot of things like that. And so there is just uh, numbers of people moving in and numbers of developments. And so the church that I pastor was actually the, uh, the very first church plant of the Florida Church Planting Network. And uh, the church was originally called Christ Community Church. It was planted in March of 2013. 
And so uh, we just this last year celebrated three years. But this was actually the launch service, and I was not the church planter that launched the church. So I was actually an apprentice. I was studying in Orlando to be a church planter, and there was another pastor that had actually planted it. Um, what happens with a lot of church plants, as you know, is uh, unfortunately it ran out of money after about a year's time. And so uh, the church planter felt that he, he needed to leave. And uh, my wife and I had been praying about what the Lord would have us do and where to go. And amazingly, the Lord kind of opened up a door for us to, to come and step in. I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a minute. But uh, this picture here is of the very first church service at UPC Lake, or I'm sorry, of Christ Community Church. And uh, this is the providence of God. But uh, my wife and I are actually there. That's, uh, that's us. We were there the very first Sunday that that church met, having no idea whatsoever <laughs> that within about a year and a half's time, we would be uh, serving there at that church. And uh, it is a real great privilege. Uh, my wife's name is Andrea. Um, that's her with the red hair there. I'll show you another picture of her in a little bit. But uh, this is Pioneers. This is the building where we meet currently. So we still meet in that same room. We've, we've redone the seating in there. So we can seat about 117 people in there, which is uh, pretty much maxed out because we average about 101 most Sundays. So, uh, so we are uh, going to be moving into a new facility here really soon and uh, uh, right there at Pioneers as well, which is a good location for us because we're right off the 417. But the Lord has, uh, has really blessed our church over the last two years. So like I said, the transitions, uh, Christ Community Church lost its planting pastor in 2014. Um, and then uh, there's a church called University Presbyterian Church, which is part of our same presbytery. It meets uh, near the University of Central Florida. And actually, I think uh, I, I was hearing that Spruce Creek was planted in 1991. Is that right? Well, University Presbyterian Church was planted in 1991 as well. So uh, kind of the same age in terms of that. But uh, when the church planter of Christ Community left, uh, UPC was asked to step in and just oversee the church for a while and keep it afloat. And so they did. And, uh, and then in summer of 2014, they, they gave the congregation a couple different options. They said, you know, you can continue on as a church plant, or we can um, uh, actually help you find a pastor and let, and let you go from there. Or if you want, you can become a second campus of our church. We've been really interested in supporting church planting, and maybe we can work together. And that's what the congregation voted to do. So, uh, so the congregation voted, and, uh, and you, or Christ Community Church became... Um, UPC Lake Nona, and so we just call it UPC Lake Nona. It's University Presbyterian Church of Lake Nona in 2014, and then uh, that's my wife Andrea and I. Um, I was hired as their interim pastor in, uh, let me think here, September of 2014, and I was put on trial there to kind of test it out, see how well it would go, um, and in December of 2014, the people uh, said, hey, we, we like you. We think we'll uh, keep you on. And uh, they voted for, uh, for I and Andrea to stick around and, and stay there. It's been a wonderful fit. We really love the area, love Lake Nona, love uh, being in Orlando where we're at and uh, the community there. And so uh, officially I was installed as the campus pastor of UPC Lake Nona in May of 2015. And a lot of times with campus churches, what happens is that you know, the pastor of the main church will be the preaching pastor and will do video at, at the other campuses. How we do it actually is, is that I preach every week and, and basically function as the shepherd pastor over our congregation there in Lake Nona. This is a picture of our Easter service this last year, and so that's still the same facility. Um, we did two services this last year and had tons and tons of people come 
And, uh, and so as you can see, this is kind of what it looks like on Sunday mornings right now. And we are, we're just jam-packed, but we're thankful that the Lord will, uh, has opened the door for us to move into this new facility soon. So it's been, uh, been kind of an amazing journey. And that's just a short picture of who we are as UPC Lake Nona. Um, part of what I wanted to do as well is just thank you for your support to the Florida Church Planting Network. Uh, you know, the support you give plants churches like ours and, uh, and has enabled us to continue to grow, continue to reach out into our community. And, uh, and here we are three years later after the original church planter left and our church is still going, which is uh, really a testimony to the Lord's work in our community. So that's a little bit about UPC Lake Nona. Now, um, what we're going to do tonight is actually kind of talk about the way that, that we as a church have processed how to reach out to our community in, in the hopes of kind of generating some ideas for you all as well. Now, um, your context is different than ours, and so, you know, some of these things maybe may apply really well. Other things you may say, ah, you know what, I don't, I don't think that's going to work as well in Port Orange. But this is part of just kind of wrestling through the questions of what we're, what we're called to do. This is uh, Matthew 28, which is, uh, you know, Jesus giving the great commission to the church. And he says, you know, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And so this is the mission Jesus has given us as a church, as, uh, as multiple churches throughout these communities. But this is what we're called to do, is to reach people with, for the sake of the gospel and disciple them to understand all that Jesus has taught. A couple of the verses that, uh, that are helpful for us as we think about our mission. This is 1 Peter 3, 14 through 15. Even, uh, it says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them. In other words, those that are outside the church, have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. And so Peter's telling us that that part of our mission as Christians in the church is to actually know the gospel and be able to give account to the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. And uh, this next one is, uh, is the one that we use at our church uh, particularly the most, which is Colossians 4, 2 through 6. And here the Apostle Paul tells the Colossians to continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. So Paul was thrown in prison for preaching the gospel. And, uh, and he says, you know, continue to do this and pray for me that I'll be able to continue to preach. Um, and also that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So we're actually going to use Colossians 4 tonight, verses 2 through 6, to kind of give us a framework for thinking about our mission and what we're called to do as Christians in the church. If you have Bibles and you want to turn there, you're welcome to do that. I'll bring it up on the screen from time to time as we, uh, as we talk through that, but... Uh, well, we'll be thinking about Colossians 4. Okay, so I would imagine as you're sitting here tonight that most of us agree that that is our mission. This is what we're called to do, is to share the gospel, to make disciples. But, uh, but I think for many of us, we kind of have a feeling of this, don't we, as you think about doing evangelism. Because we kind of go, okay, you know, that's great. I know I'm supposed to be reaching out. I'm supposed to share the gospel. But how many of you honestly feel a little overwhelmed at that idea? I mean, do you, do you feel that way in your hearts? Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I will acknowledge to you too, as a pastor, sometimes when I think about the mission of the church, I feel overwhelmed by it because, you know, it's, it's honestly beyond any of us in our, our human ability to be able to reach people with the good news of Christ. But, uh, um, but the good news is that actually uh, Christ is the one who enables us to do that. And I hope as we talk about evangelism tonight and we talk about reaching out to those that are around us, it'll help to clarify uh, the reality of what our role is and how the Lord is the one who enables us to do that. So we've got this question mark up here. You know, how in the world do we go about the mission that God has called us to? And so I wanted to just kind of process this question with you all for a second. As we think about doing evangelism today, what would you say are some of the hindrances that we experience to being able to do evangelism? What are some of the things that maybe keep us from from sharing the gospel with others? But what are the things just in our culture and in our world today that make it difficult to talk about the message of Christ? Age. Age, okay. What do you mean by that? Well, my wife and I are in our age. I'll be 90 in a couple of years, and we just don't have the ambition anymore to to reach out to to others and give the word. If they come to us, fine. You know, we will go out in the world around the neighborhood or whichever. We just don't have the energy left anymore. Okay, okay. <laughs> that have to share it. Sure. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So that's one of the challenges. You know, sometimes, uh, sometimes it takes a lot of energy for us to go out and, and do that and to engage in mission with people. And yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. I'd say the exclusivity of the message. Okay. Yeah. I think that's a big um, one. Exactly right. Yeah, we're preaching a message that Jesus is the only way to God, and, and uh, that can be considered hate speech in our day and age. And so, yeah, that makes us a little bit nervous in regards to sharing the gospel. Yeah. I'm on a main street um, this week, and we asked me, oh, where the priest fall? And I don't want to take my friend Mary for this church. Well, but she had a back house. Mm. Uh, I hope it would be too fast. And they, they, they pay for Mary on Main Street. It's a on Main Street. And I love because of bikes. And it's one thing I want to tell yourself, your maps sometimes do you a lot to clarify. You know, when you, you, you open maps your shoe, and that's not good to do to a people sometimes. Okay, yeah. Please come at your map too fast. Sure. And sometimes it's hard to stop your map if you speak to people. And I'm bad with that. It, it can be tough, yeah. Sometimes, like, like sometimes we add too many words. Sometimes we're not exactly sure what words to choose. That's another one of those challenges. So, yeah, these all are really good points. So, I, as I've been thinking about this, there are a couple of those that have been said that, that come to mind. One of them is actually this, is, uh, is what I would say is biblical illiteracy. So, in other words, as we share the gospel with people, um, in our day and age, I, I've noticed that, uh, you know, when I'm getting to know those that are outside of the church, um, many of them have no church background at all. They have no idea about the Bible stories that many of us have grown up with. So, for example, I have a church planting friend who planted a church in Boston, and he was uh, doing an event at like one of the colleges there. And he started to talk about Adam and Eve, and people in the, those college classes that he was talking to said, we have no idea what you're talking about. What is Adam and Eve? Who, who are Adam and Eve? I mean, they had literally never heard the, the creation story. And so, you know, even as we think about the words of the gospel and, and the stories that we tell, um, there's a huge amount of biblical illiteracy out there where people don't know um, even some of the key terms that we use, like justification. You know, they, they kind of go, well, what in the world are you talking about? Or salvation. And, 
and those types of things. And so that makes it a challenge for us as we think about sharing the gospel with others. This was the point that, uh, that, that you made back here. The fear of hate speech is that, you know, our message is that Jesus is the, is the Son of God, is the only way to God, but, uh, but we do uh, stand in a society where that, in many ways, is considered hate speech or, or you know, that you're thinking too, you know, um, uh, you're closed-minded if actually you think those, those ways. And so that's a challenge that, uh, that we have to face. Um, there's also, I, I think, to a large extent, for most of us, when we're asked to share the gospel, some of us, even though we, we may know it in our minds, we have a hard time kind of articulating what that means. It's a word we use all the time, uh, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. But what does that actually mean? What is the gospel that we're to share? And so, um, you know, that's a, that's a challenge that we notice even in our own church as we were thinking about how do we do this is trying to help our people kind of be equipped in sharing the gospel. I'll give you an example of what kind of brought this to mind. As, uh, as I, as the pastor, would start interviewing people about membership, and I would ask them, you know, can you tell me what you believe about, about Jesus and about the gospel? I was amazed at how many people would say to me, um, well, I'm, you know, I'm a good person. I do a lot of good things, and so I think, you know, I have a relationship with God because of that, and that he'll accept me. Is, is, is that the gospel? That's not the gospel. Yeah, the gospel is actually that none of us have done enough good things to be in relationship with God, and actually... Uh, um, now, admittedly, in, in saying this, I know that I'm a pastor and maybe I'm intimidating to some of those people and they get nervous when they are asked that question. But, uh, but what I want to hear from them is, actually, I'm saved by the righteousness of Jesus and his death on the cross and his resurrection and those pieces of the gospel that kind of tell the story. And so that's one of the pieces that I think is a challenge for us today. I think this is the other part of it, is that when we think about uh, the mission of the church, we're not really sure how people become Christians and not exactly sure how, what our role is in this particular work. Are we going out to save people? Is that our job? Or, you know, what role does the Spirit play? What is our responsibility? And so, you know, that's one of the questions I think we wrestle with in regards to this. And finally, um, here's the other piece of it. I actually think um, that many of us don't really believe that God is interested in saving people or that he wouldn't use us to do that. You know what I mean? Like we, sometimes we, we uh, sense our own weaknesses so much that we really kind of doubt that God actually wants to use us in reaching those that are around us. And now I will tell you that I, even as a pastor with a seminary degree, I struggle with this one too. Sometimes I really think, you know, I'm not sure if the Lord's really going to be able to use me. Um, and yet, uh, yet he does, and he really desires to do that. And I want to encourage you as well that the Lord is far more interested in saving people than we are. He really is. He, this is his mission. He's excited about it, and he does call us to be used in this. And so um, my hope is actually that as, uh, as we talk about this tonight, that it'll be encouraging to you to see the, the various aspects of the gospel and how uh, the Lord uses us and equips us for his work. So let me tell you a little bit of how we wrestled through some of these questions at UPC Like Nona. Um, what we started with was actually what some of our weaknesses were in terms of thinking about our mission as a church. We're called to go out and share the gospel with people and to reach people, but what are the things that as a church um, we, we struggle with? And so I'm going to show you a couple of our weaknesses that we recognized as I got together with the elders and talked about this. And one of them is this, you know, we're a church plant and we are not a big budget church. And so, you know, um, we live in the world in Orlando of Disney World and like all the fantastic light shows and everything is just amazing. And uh, what, we, what we really realize is that, you know, when it comes to like reaching people, um, our programs are not going to be the, the big draw. 
And, uh, and we just recognized that and said, okay, you know, that's all right. Doesn't mean that we don't need to continue to develop our programs and, and make them better. But, uh, but we realized that actually this is not going to be the key thing that's going to draw people to our church and, and give us a chance to share the gospel. So we just, you know, kind of recognize that. We also, like I told you earlier, we had many Christians in our church that weren't really comfortable sharing the gospel, didn't know how to do that. And so that was an area that we thought, this is something that we need to really um, talk more about. And we're still working on that, still helping our people to really understand what that means to share the gospel. And then uh, another piece of this being a low-budget church, um, you know, our uh, communication to our community is mostly through personal interactions. As people have come to the church, it's, it's not because our advertising is so great. You know, we put banners out and we do the basic things that churches do. And a lot of people will see our website, but most of the people that have come and plugged into our church came because they were invited by somebody else. Or uh, I got to know them in the community, took them out to lunch and invited them to church. And so, you know, that was um, on one hand one of our weaknesses uh, that, you know, primarily we're, we're not, you know, getting to know a lot of people that way. But uh, I'm going to show you in a second. That's also one of our strengths, and so we recognize that as well. Um, the other thing, too, that we're continuing to work on as a church is that not everyone knows their role. You know, all of us have been gifted by the Spirit, if we're believers in Christ, to serve the church and to serve the community. But some of us don't know exactly how we would do that or what, what the Lord has called us particularly to do. And so this is uh, part of what we've, we we're wrestling with. Okay, so like I said, you know, as we wrestled through what our weaknesses were, and those are just a couple of them, we have an even longer list than that. Um, then we also kind of talked about what are some of the strengths that we have as a church and what has God called us to do. And that one of them, again, this communication to our community is mostly through personal interactions. We realized that this is actually the way that we grew and one of our strengths as a church. Um, this is a picture of, uh, of our Easter uh, service, and we did a brunch during the Easter service. And so this is kind of this back room, and, and one of the things that's really neat about this picture, okay, is uh, I, know, I know three quarters of the people in it, but, uh, but this guy over here, I have no idea who he is. But I know that he got invited by, like, I think this lady or one of these people in the back over here invited him. This guy over here got invited by this guy right here. Um, and, and also, like, you know, all these people here kind of fellowshipping and gathering together, we realize that this is actually how we grow as a church, is that we're pretty relational. We're pretty good at that. We're, we're actually really like getting together with people, inviting people to our homes and interacting. And so we said, you know, instead of us trying to reinvent the wheel and come up with something brand new and original that's going to blow the world away, why don't we do what we're good at and continue to, de to, to develop in that? Um, this is a book that I, that I read in seminary, but it was helpful for us as we were kind of processing this. And it kind of gives like the different personality types of your church. And so it's, it's based off the Myers-Briggs, if that's helpful to any of you. But, um, you know, what it, what it does is kind of talks about church personalities and the way that you function. And uh, what we realized is that we, we fit the relational church model very much in this. Where in the relational church, you basically build through personal interactions, and, uh, and the church functions in that way. Kind of everybody knows one another, and, uh, and so what you have to be careful of is that you can become a bit ingrown where just everybody's such good friends that there's really no room for anybody else to come in, but, uh, but you can actually, uh, if you're good at relationships, you, you build off that. You, you do little parties, or you do get-togethers, and, and actually, our, our life group structure, which is our small group Bible studies, they all meet in different homes, and they've been a great outreach for us to just invite neighbors to come and, uh, and interact with us in that way. So we are relational. That's a, that's a big part of who we were. 
The other part that we realized as a church is that we were, we were clear on the gospel from the standpoint of what we were talking about in all of our ministries. So every week at church, like I make it a point to, to make the gospel really clear. So, you know, if you invite a non-Christian to come and come to our service, they're going to hear the gospel every week. And I believe, you know, this is a big thing in the PCA, so I don't doubt that your pastors are preaching the gospel to you every week as well. But, but that is a core thing, is that we, we wanted our people to know that, you know what, if you did invite your friend to come, that we promise you're going to hear the gospel every week in the sermon. They're going to hear about um, sin and our faults before God. They're going to hear about Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection and the hope of, uh, of the gospel. And so that was one of the things that we really wanted to build on. So uh, we kind of came up with three big priorities based on Colossians 4 of what we would, uh, uh, what we would do. And it, uh, it's what we call prayer people in place. Prayer people in place. And I'll give you just kind of a quick definition of what we're talking about with these three things. Um, prayer ultimately, of course it means praying, but we, we talk about this as being dependent on God. And uh, I, I will acknowledge to you that as we were kind of praying about what we needed to prioritize as a church, um, this was not my idea. This was actually some of our elders said, you know what, if we're going to be effective as a church, it's really got to start with prayer. It's really got to start with our dependence on the Lord in everything that we do. And so we use prayer as, as we talk about like our mission as a church to say, hey, you know what we really want for everybody is we want you to be dependent on God. And we want God to lead us as a church. We want him to show us the steps and we want him to reach people with the gospel. And so this is where we start. So as we talk about prayer at our church, it includes everything from studying the scriptures, getting to know the Lord, being dependent on him through Christ Jesus. Uh, but that's one of our big priorities as a church. We're saying, you know what? Our mission starts with prayer and dependence on God. People is both, uh, both people within the church and then outside of the church. And so here's the thing, that as a church, uh, we're, we're a body. We're the body of Christ. In fact, um, you all are part of the same body of Christ with us, but you are a local body of Christ congregation together. And so part of your mission as a church is actually to be growing in relationships with one another, to be sharpening each other in the good news of the gospel, and actually to be equipping each other for the mission of, uh, of the church. But people is also our mission, is that you know, our priority is to go in and seek lost people and to let them know about the good news of Jesus Christ. And so uh, as we talk about people, we, we pray for people, and, uh, and we focus on sharpening ourselves together and equipping each other to go out and share the gospel with those that are in our community. Place is this last unique one. Um, and uh, each of these kind of covers two different things. But place is that uh, each of us has been gifted by the Holy Spirit in different ways. All of you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have spiritual gifts. God has equipped you to be of service not only to his church, but in, your, in the communities as well. And so each of us has unique roles that we can fill. But places also that each of us has a unique location. So as you think about this, um, you know, in a sense, our church's location is Lake Nona as a whole. But, uh, but we've got some folks in our church that actually live in St. Cloud in the next town over. One of the guys in our church, he uh, actually works at the sign factory. And in a sense, we talk about this, that that's sort of his particular place. He's really good, actually, at building relationships with the people that he works with and sharing the gospel. And here's the thing, too, is that, um, you know what? I probably, in, in all the time I have, will not get over to the sign location where he works. That's a particular place God has equipped him to be serving. And our neighborhoods are particular places. I don't know if it's like this here in Port Orange, but everything in Lake Nona is a gated community. 
like you can't just go visit anybody without a pass or like going through a guard shack. And so, you know, it's almost like all of our locations are kind of closed off. But you know what? If you live in that community, you have the opportunity to meet your neighbors and build relationships. And, and so like, you know, my wife and my, uh, our particular place and our development, um, we know our neighbors to the right. They're, uh, they're Puerto Rican. And then uh, actually our neighbors to the left are Colombian. And so, uh, so we've been building relationships with them, getting to know them. And we think of that as kind of our particular place. And so we believe as we think about our mission, uh, prayer people in place, these are kind of the topics that we use to, to broadly cover what we're, uh, what we're called to do. Okay, I uh, put this slide in here just to remind myself that, you know, if you need to take a break or anything like that or use the restroom, I will not be offended. Feel free to, to do that. Um, I'll kind of keep track of the time and, and we'll stop at different increments to just give you a chance to stand up and take a breather and things like that. All right, let's, uh, let's do this. Um, what I want to talk about first is actually how a person becomes a Christian. And part of the reason for this is I think that as we, uh, as we think about this, it'll help us in terms of like understanding our calling to, uh, to reach those that are not believers. So let me ask you this. You can think about your own story, but uh, somebody tell me exactly what happens when somebody uh, changes from being a non-believer to someone being a believer in Christ. What do you think is happening? How would you describe it? Yeah. Uh, I want to show something about my mom, please. My mom was not a Christian. She was a Muslim, okay? Mm-hmm. And now she's going to church with my dad in the drive-in church in Dayton. Okay. Very cool. She's a Christian, so she's she's accepted Christ. She's believing the yeah, gospel. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. That's great. That's really great. How about others of you? When you think about even your own story and how you became a Christian, what, what do you think happened? What happened that, that you became a believer? Yeah. You noticed your need. Okay. So yeah, suddenly there's a sense in which you know, you know what, my relationship with God is not exactly right. And so you, usually, you know, you, you start to identify your sinfulness and recognize that need. And, uh, and then, you know, by the work of the Spirit, you start to see who Jesus is that he's the son of God, that he died for your sins, and, uh, and your heart accepts that. Now let me ask you this, like, how does that actually happen? Do you just think it through enough that you suddenly become convinced? Or what's happening when somebody becomes a believer? They will, yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. So the, the Holy Spirit is the one that's, that's doing this work. So I'm going to take you through something here really quick. You may be familiar with this. It's what we call the, um, oh, I knew I was going to forget the, the term, um, uh, basically the order of salvation, order of salutis. We call it the order of salutis. So it's the order of salvation. And, uh, and, and you'll bear with me for a second, but I want us to talk about this really quick. And, uh, and you'll kind of see what, uh, what the idea is behind it. 
But uh, when, when we think about the Bible and how it describes what happens to us when we become believers, what the Bible says, according to Ephesians 1, is that we are elected by God. So before time even began, God calls us to himself um, and chooses us before he even made us. And uh, so Ephesians 1 says, you know, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love the Bible says he predestined us for adoptions as son through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. And so, so who's the one who elects those of us that are going to be saved? God. God does that. That's exactly right. We don't elect ourselves. God is the one who chose us before the foundations of the world. And we have what we call the effectual calling. And, and this is talked about in several places in Scripture, but Romans 8 talks about it. And there it says that in those God predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. And so this calling is the element in which the Lord, by the Spirit, um, calls to us through the Bible, through his word, and he tells us about, uh, about our need, first and foremost, but then also about who Christ Jesus is. So who, who is it that does the calling? God. God does the calling. That's exactly right. Okay, then uh, just what you were describing earlier, regeneration. So uh, regeneration is where our heart is actually changed. Uh, the Bible says this is, you know, this is where we, we uh, have faith. The, the Lord generates faith in our, our minds, so we believe in Jesus. We repent of our sins, acknowledging that, and he uh, changes our hearts. In fact, the, uh, the Old Testament um, book of Jeremiah talks about like God removes our heart of stone, and he gives us a heart of flesh. And so in order for us to be a Christian, we're regenerated. Something's changed in us. Who does the regenerating? God, yeah. The answer to all these is God. That's, a, that's exactly right. By the Spirit, he does these things. And so this is uh, you know, Titus 3.5. He saved us not because of works by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, the renewal of the Spirit. Then he justifies us. And justification is the element in which we're declared uh, um, not guilty and righteous by, in God's courtroom. And so what Jesus does in dying for us on the cross and in his resurrection he credits us with his perfect life. This is the amazing thing about the gospel. All of us who are believers in Jesus, we stand before the Father, and he actually sees Jesus in us and the righteousness of Christ, which is the amazing truth of the gospel. And so we are declared uh, free and not guilty any longer because of what Christ has done. And so that's justification. Who justifies us? Christ Jesus. God does. That's exactly right. And we are adopted into the family of God. And so we, we become children of God. Romans 8 talks about this. This is amazing. And actually, Romans 8 goes on to say that we are, we're not only children of God, but we are heirs with Christ. Think about that. You are heirs with Christ. That, that means that the inheritance that Christ has earned actually gets shared with us. I, I can't even fathom that. That's like too good for words. I mean, you know, the reality is, is that um, maybe you'll inherit a million dollars here on earth, or, or maybe you've got a huge inheritance coming, but the reality is that here on earth, you will die and lose that inheritance. In Christ, in God, you have an inheritance that's not perishable. It is everlasting. You are adopted into the family of God. Who does the adopting? God does. Then there's the sanctification. Sanctification is... Uh, is that uh, the Lord is transforming us to be more like Christ. Um, uh, Hebrews 10 says, By that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ Jesus once for all. Amazingly, the Bible says that we are sanctified already through Christ, 
but we are also being made sanctified. He's changing us daily uh, as we follow after Christ to be more Christ-like. And so who does the work of sanctification? Answer, of course, is God, again. And last but not least, the, most, uh, you know, the important destination that we're headed to is glorification. And glorification means that you know, someday we will be resurrected with Christ in glory and that we won't be able to sin any longer. There will be no more sin. There will be no more death. It'll be wonderful. And uh, Romans 8.30, this is one of, one of the great encouragements of the gospel, is that uh, the Bible says those whom God predestined, he also called. That's the effectual calling we talked about. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. And here's what that means, is that um, if you are called or elected by God, that means you're going to be glorified. Like, nothing will break that chain up. Like, God has, has predestined, he's called us, and we will go through the process to glorification. And so there's a security for the believer in that. Okay, so as we look at this list, this is what I believe the Bible teaches in terms of what happens when somebody becomes a Christian. And as we look at that and realize that actually it's the work of the Spirit that generates all these things, the work of Christ and God the Father, uh, all three working together to do this, um, what does it tell us about our role within evangelism? Yeah, Yeah, there's a sense in which, you know, you, you really can't, it's not dependent on you. And so here's the thing, is it's not that we shouldn't give thought or that we don't have a role. We are called to share, you know, as salt and light, the good news of what Christ has done. But ultimately, if we believe that God is the one who saves people and he's, he set all this in motion, we're just a vessel that he uses in that process, then the stress isn't all on us. It's not based on how good you are at this. It's based on the, the work of the Lord and the Holy Spirit. This is my all-time favorite evangelism story. Um, this is a, a friend of mine from when I was in college at Florida State. His name was Tim, and, uh, and he had been, uh, you know, um, actually he had gone to seminary, so he was seminary educated. He was actually the campus pastor at the church that I went to while I was in college at Florida State. And uh, he had been uh, getting to know his neighbor. And his neighbor was a guy who, you know, didn't talk to him all that much, but he'd been kind of, you know, praying for him and sharing the gospel with him and trying to encourage him. And, and that one day, you know, Tim was on a really busy day. He had a lot of appointments. And this neighbor calls him up and says, uh, hey, I, I wonder if you would come over and talk with me. I, I really need to talk to you about some things that are going on. And Tim says, you know, I've got an appointment in an hour, but um, I'll, I'll come over and I'll, I'll talk to you for a little bit. So Tim goes over to his house. He sits down at the man's kitchen table, and the man begins to share with him. He says, uh, Tim, you don't know this, but, um, but my life is just a mess. My life is a mess. I've been struggling with alcoholism for years. He says, my wife left me. My children don't want to have anything to do with me. And he says, they're, you know, um, you know, I'm struggling. I've lost my job over it. And, and he basically goes on and on for about an hour just talking about all the terrible stuff that's happened in his life. Tim looks at his watch suddenly and realizes, I've got like three minutes left, and then I've got to get out of here for my next appointment. And he's kind of praying for the Holy Spirit to, to give him words to say. And he looks at the man across the table, and he says, Jesus is good. And, uh, and Tim just kind of blanks, and he's like, I, I got to have more than that. And he just looks at him again, and he says, Jesus is good. And I want to tell you more about that later, but I got to run right now, and, and, uh, but I, I want to follow up with you. And so he Tim walks out the door, he goes to his truck, he gets in, and he's like, I am the worst evangelist in the history of evangelism. I, you know, I went to seminary, and the best I can come up with is Jesus is good in this moment. 
And, uh, and so he's beating himself up for the rest of the day. Later on that day, this is a true story, the man calls him up and he says, Tim, you know, when you were over at my house, the only thought that kept going through my mind the whole time was that there is nothing good in my story. And he said, when you said Jesus is good, somehow it just clicked with me that that's the peace that I need. So do you want to tell me how I could accept Jesus? And, and so Tim got to pray with him over the phone and the man became a Christian believer. Now clearly, it was because of the well-articulated arguments that Tim presented to him earlier. Oh, of course it wasn't. He said Jesus is good. But, uh, but here's the thing, okay? Um, I'm not at all saying that it doesn't matter what we say. But uh, you know what happened in that moment is that uh, Tim, who had been praying for the Spirit to lead, knew that what that man needed to hear was that Jesus is good. And, that, and that's the vehicle that the Lord used for this man to become a Christian. And so my encouragement to you is that um, one of the things that can encourage your heart in doing evangelism is to recognize that actually God is very interested in saving those that are around us. The good news that we celebrate in the gospel is what he wants to, to bring people to himself. And you know what? He has... Uh, he, he uses weak vessels like all of us. And, and honestly, like none of us have it perfectly together. I have a seminary degree and I still stumble over words. And sometimes I don't know exactly what the right things are to say. Now, I do think about the gospel and I read the scriptures and I try to understand how to articulate them well. But ultimately, what, what I recognize is um, that uh, dependence on God is going to be the key way that, uh, that we can reach people with the good news of Christ. And so... As we think about uh, even the Apostle Paul here in, a, in uh, Colossians 4, he says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And then look at, look at what he says here too. He says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open us a door for the word. And so what Paul's saying, you know, Paul was a very gifted preacher, very good, but even Paul recognized, you know what, the way the gospel is going to go forth is if you pray and if we depend on the Lord to open a door for the gospel. Because let's admit, none of us change people's hearts. I don't know how to do that. I can't remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. But you know what? I know that God can do that. And as we realize that, suddenly evangelism doesn't seem so scary to me anymore. Because actually, the Lord can use people like us to do that very thing. And so here's what we have been encouraging our congregation to do. And this is what I would encourage you to do as well is that the, the mission of, uh, of evangelism actually starts with prayer. And so what I would encourage you to do is, is to begin with that very thing, is start praying for your neighborhood. Start praying for your neighbors and those particular people that are around you. And um, I've, got a, I've got a gift for you. This was developed by, uh, by one of the pastors at UPC, and uh, we call them the, our, our Love Our Neighbor cards. And basically what they are is uh, just these little cards. You can keep them in your Bible or in a book or something like that. And uh, they, they just kind of give us some instructions that, that we pray regularly for like our neighbors and their specific needs. That we work on getting to know them, seek to develop real relationships with them, and then also seek opportunities to serve them in tangible ways. And so um, we, uh, we keep these uh, Love Your Neighbor cards and you know, kind of jot down three different people's names on your Love Your Neighbor card. So on mine is Brandon, who's my next door neighbor. Um, his wife goes to a Catholic church. Andrea and I, my wife, have been getting to know them. I don't think Brandon's a Christian, but you know what? I make it a, a point to pray for him regularly. And that card, every time I see it, reminds me of that. Uh, another guy who's actually moved away uh, was... Um, oh, now I'm going to forget his name. Um, a guy that my wife and I met who was homeless in Lake Nona. 
And, uh, and we began to pray for him regularly. And he actually got together with me and we did Bible studies. And, and it was kind of an amazing thing. You know, I met him, started praying for him, and the Lord opened up a door for me to begin to, uh, to talk with him about the gospel. And so, so here's the thing, is that ultimately, as you realize that evangelism starts with uh, your dependence on God, um, start with prayer. Start with asking the Lord to, uh, to guide you in evangelism. And so let me uh, just pass some of these out. You can take one. And uh, actually, I've got a box of them. I'll just leave here with, uh, with you all as a congregation. And uh, you can take more of them if you want. If, you, if uh, all three people on your card get saved, then just grab another card and start praying for, <laughs> praying for more folks. But um, I'll give me a few more here. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, absolutely. Give you a couple here too. Yep. But uh, one of the other things that we did at a church, as a church congregation is uh, we did some prayer walks in our community. And so you can do this by yourself or you can uh, do this together in groups. Um, it doesn't have to be, you know, we, we don't walk around and kind of like lay hands on buildings or other things like that. Um, we just sort of silently walk through the neighborhoods and we just pray for those that we see on the street and pray for the community, pray that the Lord will guide us in reaching out to our community and the places that we live. But, uh, but here's really the thing, is that when we understand that, um, that the mission that God has put us on is, uh, is his mission, and he's the one who's called us to do this, I've got one other point I'll make here with this, um, it encourages us to recognize that actually evangelism starts with dependence on God and with prayer. Uh, is there anybody that you can think of that you would really like to not see in your church? Anybody that you're like, you know, I really hope they don't ever become a Christian because that's the last person I want to see on Sunday mornings. You got anybody like that in your community or know anybody like that? Um, pray that they become Christians too. You know, as, uh, as we're to encompass the, the gospel message of Jesus calls us to pray for our enemies, um, pray for those people that you really don't want in your church. I will acknowledge to you, you know who, who mine is? Mine's my HOA, the, my homeowners association. <laughs> They have more rules than they know what to do with, and they drive me crazy. And most of the time, I just want to, like, you know, kind of yell at them. And, you know, they, they, um, they get on my case about how many cars come to my house to visit for Bible studies. It just frustrates the daylights out of me. Well, I was really convicted by this as I was thinking about it. The Lord's, you know, I, I sensed as I was reading the scriptures, the Lord's saying, um, I want you to pray for them. I want you to pray that they will accept Christ and to come to know the gospel. And so uh, I pray for them at church sometimes. You know, I, I pray for them regularly. And, uh, and this is part of what is, my calling is in Christ because ultimately I'm a Christian not because I'm such a good person that, you know, the Lord was just, you know, wanting to save me, but I'm actually far worse than my HOA is. And yet the Lord loved me and saved me. Yeah. Well, Russell shared with us last night that he's actually the president of his HOA. That's a great idea. <laughs> That's a great idea. I mean, yeah, and, and I remember him saying that too, and I thought, I'm not going to tell you, Russell, about my HOA. Yeah, but I mean, that's a, it's a great idea, a good way to get plugged into the community, which we'll, uh, we'll talk some more about as well. Okay, so here's what I'd like to do for a couple seconds here is um, if you want to like uh, talk with, you know, you can do two or three people, but just break into groups for a second here and just process a little bit of what we talked about. And how, you know, some practical ways that you might make prayer a regular part of your mission as a Christian. But then also think about your church and think about Port Orange. What are some ways that you can start praying for your community? What are some ways that you can depend on the Lord to, uh, to do that? And so take about five minutes. And uh, if anybody needs to use the restroom, you can do that. And then we'll jump back into the next point. But let's take five minutes, just kind of uh, break into groups here. And let's talk a little bit about that. Oop, let me bring that back. There we go. Okay. Yeah.
All right, if I can get your attention, let's, let's kind of join back together. And we'll, uh, we'll go on to the next point here. And so, so hopefully that's, that's kind of helpful for you as you're sort of processing the, the ways that you can pray and, and uh, the ways that you can uh, you know, develop that in your mission as a community. And, and here's the thing, too. Um, you know, one of the things that we do at UPC Lake Nona is every week, like in the pastoral prayer on Sunday mornings, um, I pray for something that's in the city. So like uh, this week, I'm going to pray for the YMCA. Uh, I know some of the people at the YMCA, but I pray for the different medical facilities, and we pray that God's kingdom would come there and He would bless them, and uh, and then we pray for uh, for you know lots of people in our community. We also we also pray for the other evangelical churches in our community too, because we want people that come to our church to understand that actually we are on mission together for the sake of Christ. It's not uh, one versus another. So so prayer is uh, is kind of where I think that mission starts and. Uh, um, the, the strategy there is depending on the Lord and asking Him to guide you in this mission uh, to reach people in your community. Okay, so as we, uh, as we go into the next point here, um, this is the, the element in which Paul says, at that same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the Word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Oh, <laughs> it's all right. Yeah, so, so Paul's saying here, you know, that, that this is the second part, that as I talk to people about the gospel, I need to be clear on what the gospel is and that I could make it clear to those that hear me speak. And so um, here's the question I want us to wrestle with a little bit as we talk about this, okay? Our mission is to, is to be able to share the gospel with people. What is the gospel? How, how would you answer that question? As you, as you think about that for a second, what would you say to me is, is the gospel? What is the gospel that we're talking about? Good news. It's good news? Yeah, that's exactly right. The gospel is good news. That's literally what the word means. What would you say it is, though? Like, what, what is the gospel? We say this good news all the time, but how would you summarize it? If you were, let's say you're going to summarize it to your neighbor, what it is that you believe is the good news of, of Jesus Christ. What is it? Message of salvation? Okay, okay, absolutely. And you do not have to be the best human being to be find salvation that God did for you. Okay, yes, this is an important part of the gospel is that actually um, you don't uh, build a relationship with God by the works that you do, but actually Christ has done the work for you. And, you know, he transforms us, calls us into sanctification and things like that. But ultimately, yeah, this is a big part of the gospel is that um, it's not by works, but it's by the work of Christ and by his work alone. Well, here's, here's what I thought we would do as we think about this is um, um, I'm going to kind of give you a, a summary that we use at UPC Lake Known of what the gospel is. And so um, it, there's, there's other ways to summarize it. But it's just kind of a helpful grid as you think about that question. Like, if I had to share with my neighbor what I believe about Christ, how would I summarize it? And so uh, this is probably a grid that you've seen before. But um, what it is is, uh, oh, let, let's do this first. Um, think about some scripture verses that you know that kind of give you a summary of the gospel. Are there any scriptures that come to mind that you go, well, that's a good summary of, of what the gospel is? Yeah. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again. Oh, that's Absolutely, yeah, that's a fantastic one. Yeah, another scripture? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Okay, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. <laughs> it's all right. Yeah. There's, there's another one that you all know. Uh, John 3.16, yeah, John 3.16. John 3.16, yeah. 
That's right, yeah. Actually, you, you've picked uh, the, the ones that I have up here. This is another one of my favorites, which is 2 Corinthians 5, 20-21. We are ambassador for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the other key piece of the gospel that I think is so easy to forget, is that the gospel is not just that our sins got put on Jesus, but it's also that his righteousness got got put on us, which is, uh, which is a key part of what we, what we celebrate and believe. There's John 3.16, and then the, the Romans uh, 3 passes that you were just saying, yeah. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. And so it gives us sort of a summary of the big categories of the gospel. But um, this is the grid that, that we use at our church for how we, how we think about the gospel. Um, and a lot of times, I've, I've even done this in sermons, I'll just kind of use this grid to kind of help our people also recognize and understand what, what the gospel is. But it really starts here. It starts with creation. And, and here's the big element of creation when we think about it, is that a holy God, and holy means that God is separate from everything that is evil, Holy God created a perfect world, and he created us in his image. And us being his image bearers, we were created to know God and to have relationship with him. And so really the gospel message kind of starts with that reality, what we call creation. So I just blanketed under that. Second part of the gospel is, is often called fall, but I think rebellion is actually a better word for it because fall sort of sounds like, well, we just sort of had an accident and, and didn't know what we were doing, whereas actually what the Bible says is, no, our, our, through Adam and Eve and all of us since, our hearts have rebelled against God. And so fall rebellion is that humankind disobeyed God and has broken relationship with him, the consequence of which is hell. You know, hell is one of those things that, um, that sometimes we, we're uncomfortable talking about, but um, and here's, here's the thing, I'm not suggesting that you have to necessarily talk about hell in every conversation with everybody, but we do need to remember that this is part of the gospel, that actually all of us fall under sin and the judgment of God. And that actually our neighbors, if they don't know Christ, they're going to spend eternity in hell. That's what the Bible actually teaches. And here's the thing too, this is why this is so important for us to remember, because if the reality of hell and the punishment of God on sin is not true, then the cross really means nothing. If, if that reality is not there, then Jesus died for nothing. But we have to remember that actually Jesus died because all of us in our sins were worthy of hell. And so this is the, what we call, I'll give you a picture for it in a little bit, but what we call the bad news of the gospel. So the gospel is good news, but for that good news to be good, we have to understand what the bad news is. The good news, you know, the third part is redemption, that Christ, uh, you know, is... Uh, Christ is his identity. So Jesus is not only human, but he is also God, the eternal God, the second person of the Trinity, which is also one of the things sometimes it's hard for people to understand, and it's hard for us to understand. Let's just acknowledge that, you know. It's hard for us to spell that out and exactly understand how that works, but Jesus is God himself, and he's a human being. And he came and he lived perfectly before the Father, loving his neighbor as himself, following the Ten Commandments perfectly and everything that he did. But Christ also took our sins on himself on the cross. And then the good news of the gospel is that Jesus didn't stay dead. He was resurrected in glory. And, uh, and in his resurrection, um, well, actually he ascends to the Father and is now glorified. 
But in his resurrection, he has conquered death and the punishment of sin. And then the final part of, of the gospel is the consummation. And the consummation is glorification. Basically that there's coming a day where the Lord is going to completely change us as believers and change the world. And so this is the good news that we celebrate is that we will not always be sinful. One day the world will be without sin, which is hard for us to even fathom. But, uh, but that's the reality. That's what we celebrate. That's where we're going as Christian believers. And so this is kind of just a framework of what the gospel is, as we think about the, you know, kind of four categories of thinking about what that story is. And so I kind of use this as I talk to people about the, about the gospel is um, I'll think about, okay, if I kind of helped flesh out creation and what God has done, who God is, God the Father is holiness. Have I talked about the bad news and kind of established why people need Jesus? And then have I talked about the cross and the resurrection and, and kind of the hope to come? Now, admittedly, in even a lot of the gospel passages that we look at, not every element of the gospel is, is said. You know, not all the pieces are there every time. But, um, but there, is a, there is a flow of those, those basic pieces to the story that accompany it. My, uh, my wife's father uh, died about a month ago. And so, uh, so this is just kind of fresh in our minds and things. And um, as, uh, as we were getting ready for his funeral, um, I and Andrea, my wife, we met with the pastor of the church uh, where he attended in, in Bradenton. And um, the one request that Andrea and I made of him is we just said, at the, at the funeral service, we know there's going to be a lot of non-believers there. And we really want you to make clear the gospel. And he said, yeah, I, I will invite people to, to believe in Christ. And so when he got up to, to speak, um, he did a good job. And I'm, I'm not here to try and pick him apart or belittle him or anything like that. But he, uh, he said at the end, he said, you know, um, some of you may not know Jesus, and uh, I would just encourage you that, you know, this is a good opportunity for you to get to know Jesus. Um, and, uh, and I'm going to give you the opportunity as we pray today to, to accept Jesus into your hearts. And, um, and then basically he prayed and, and he said, if you did that, you know, come and talk to me afterwards. Well, here's the thing. Um, that, that wasn't really the gospel, was it? He, you know, he kind of gave an invitation for people to accept Christ. But um, the part that got skipped was that part right there. There was no sense of, um, you know, why anybody would need to accept Jesus. You know, you know it, it may have come across like, well, you know, maybe it'd be a good idea. Maybe I'd get some benefit of knowing Jesus. But there really was no need established there of why anyone would need to know Christ. And see, here's the thing, too, that um, I think has happened in Christianity to some extent as we've, we've gotten a little bit afraid of the reality of rejection from people or making people uncomfortable. And so we don't talk about sin all that much. In fact, even um, trying to get people to define what sin is these days doesn't seem to even be a concept of it in most people's minds, does there? And so, uh, but you know, the reality of sin is the reason that Jesus came. And, and that's why I use words like rebellion. I, I say that actually what we've done is we've committed rebellion against God. We have, um, we've actually committed treason against the king of the universe. Because words like that kind of, kind of ring bells in our minds and we go, okay, yeah, that doesn't sound so good. That sounds pretty terrifying and awful. And, uh, and here's the thing. I, the goal is not to scare people into the kingdom, but to recognize that actually, you know, we need to make it clear to people that apart from uh, Jesus, you actually don't have a right relationship with God. You're not in right standing with him. And so here's the thing is that um, it's important to not forget that, that second part of the gospel, that actually there is bad news Oh, and I've got a caution sign here. There's problems ahead when we kind of skip over the bad news and just go to the good news right away. So 
So let's, uh, let's crumple that one up and get rid of it, and let's keep the gospel with the bad news as well. And so, uh, so this is what I always do in my sermons even as well, is that each week uh, I, I preach from a card, so I kind of preach from notes, um, but I always have a note in there that says bad news, and then I have another note that says good news, and, uh, and then a picture of the cross next to it. And the reason for that is, is that I want to make sure that people recognize that um, what the need is for which Christ died and why it was so important that we understand that uh, for the good news. And, he, and here's the thing. Um, it's not that I, I have no goal of trying to turn people off or to, to um, you know, I want people to come to Jesus. I want them to understand the gospel. But I also do think that as we think about even how Jesus did evangelism, he wasn't afraid to talk about the bad news. He wasn't afraid to do that. He, he, uh, he actually feared God more than he feared man. Um, one of my favorite passages of Scripture, I, I love this, in John 6, okay, Jesus has fed the 5,000. And all these people are, are, you know, so excited about Jesus and they want to follow him. And then, do you know what Jesus starts talking about then? He says, uh, if you want to, you know, follow me, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And everybody's like, uh, okay, we're out of here. That's not going to be any fun. Like, and even the disciples are kind of like, um, uh, this is a hard saying. Who can accept this? And you know what happens is Jesus has this whole crowd there in front of him, and they all take off. You know what's interesting? Jesus doesn't chase them down and go, wait, 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 let me re-explain everything that I just said so you understand better. He looks at his disciples and he says, you guys going to leave too? And what do they say back to him? They say, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Here's the thing I want to encourage you in, okay? Not everybody's going to accept the gospel. Not everybody's going to believe the good news of what Jesus has done. That is uh, not on you. Remember that it is the Lord who saves people. But our job is to communicate the message in its truth. And we do it lovingly. Um, as we do this, you know, this is another important part, okay? As we need to talk to people about sin and help them to recognize that actually you do have a need of God, I think, I think a couple different things. I think most people that you talk to will say, you know, we recognize we don't do everything right. We recognize that we do things wrong. But there's a sense in which everybody kind of says, yeah, but everybody does. So I'm no worse than anybody else. There's, there's really no recognition that um, the holiness of God is what separates us uh, as sinners. And so as we talk about sin with people, um, I, I wouldn't take this approach. Like, for example, I wouldn't go over to my neighbors and go, um, you know, I know you're a sinner. Because I hear you talk to your children and your wife, and you're a mess over there. And, you know, like kind of pointing out all the things that they do wrong. I think the way to talk about sin with people is to say, I want you to recognize that actually I know I'm a sinner. I know I do things wrong. Sometimes I'm not patient with my wife the way I should be. Sometimes I'm not loving uh, to my neighbors and to my family and to uh, those that Christ has called me to love. And I recognize that I fall very far short of the holiness of God. But I also recognize that I'm loved in Christ and that Christ has, has given himself for me. And I think the, the more that we relate to people in that way as we talk about sin, uh, the more that, uh, that they see that we're not, we're not lording it over, like we're much holier than you are, but that actually uh, all of us get in the same way. In, in a sense, the gospel is the most fair thing ever. There's only one way in and everybody gets in the same way. It's through Jesus and through him alone. All right, um, <clears throat> this is a book called Learning Evangelism from Jesus, and, and it's actually a very helpful book, kind of just in terms of thinking through how Jesus interacts with people. And I thought we would um, take a look at this passage. I know the words are going to be really small up there, but this is uh, Jesus' interaction with the Samaritan woman in John 4. And uh, if you have your Bibles and you want to flip there, let's just take a look at John 4 here really quick, and we'll talk a little bit about this. 
Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Um, what do you know about Samaritans? Can anybody tell me? What, how, how well did Jews and Samaritans get along in Bible times? Does anybody know? Like oil and water. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Like oil and water is exactly right. The Samaritans were kind of considered half-breed, and so they weren't part of the, the original people of, of, uh, of Israel. What had happened was um, many of the Israelites had intermarried with other nations, and that's where the Samaritans came from, and so they were kind of considered half-breeds. And, uh, and then Jesus, you know, in this uh, interaction with the Samaritan woman, um, you know, he actually, the, what, what we know from history is that most Jews that would have to travel by Samaria would actually take this long road around it. They would just avoid it because they didn't want to go there and be uncomfortable around the Samaritans. And yet Jesus particularly goes right into this, this place where the Samaritans are and interacts with this woman. And so um, let's read the passage starting at verse 4. And um, let's see here, where do I go to? Let's go to verse 26. So um, John 4, John chapter 4. Yeah, we'll start at verse 4. All right. Scripture says this. It says, and he, and that's Jesus, had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, uh, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, Give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will, we, will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Okay, I think there's a, there's a lot that we can learn from uh, uh, looking at the way that Jesus interacts with this woman. And so uh, I, I want to just kind of go through a couple different points here that you see in the text. Um, and I think, you know, as we think about our own interaction with people, it kind of helps us to think about the ways that, that the Lord can use us and how we interact with those that, that maybe are sinful, <laughs> Like, like all of us are, but also maybe um, 
you know, just the ways that we kind of generate a conversation. So first of all here, it says that Jesus goes by Jacob's well, which is interesting because what is Jesus going to talk about? What imagery is he going to use as he interacts with this woman? He's going to say something about himself. What does he say? He says, I'm living water. Yeah. Yeah, interesting that he's standing by a well when he does this. He's at Jacob's well, and so he's, he u- he's using the context that he's in to kind of talk to her about the truths of the gospel. This is my other favorite part of this passage. Jesus actually says to this woman, give me a drink. Now, that may seem insignificant, but here's why I think that's really important, is that, okay, this is a, the Son of God who made the world. Does he really need anything from this woman? And you know, granted, okay, I know that Jesus was a human being. The text tells us he was tired and thirsty. But uh, is, is he really in need? Isn't it interesting that he actually honors this woman who, um, you know, according to what the text tells us, would anybody ask this lady for a drink of water? Not one person would. And yet Jesus does. And here's why that's significant and important for us, I think, as we think about evangelism. Jesus actually listens to her and doesn't, doesn't treat her like you have nothing to bring to the table. I think this is so important for us as well, okay? We're Christians and we believe the gospel and we know it and we want to share that with people. But you know what? As we interact with people, we need to be good listeners and also acknowledge that they're made in God's image and that they bring things to the table. We don't just look at them as a project we've got to fix, but actually, um, you know, we can honor them and, and say, hey, I'd love to talk with you about this, but I, you know, I want to listen to you well and hear kind of your perspective on things. And so Jesus kind of models that for us in the way that he interacts with this woman. Um, he uses this imagery of living water, again, as we talk about the context that he's in, you know, talking about himself as living water, as, uh, you know, he tells her that she'll never be thirsty again, that, you know, he is the eternal living water, the eternal life to which she's seeking. And, you know, she doesn't understand completely at first, but, uh, but you know, he uses imagery that he, he thinks she'll understand as, uh, as he interacts with this woman. I love this as well. Go call your husband and come here. What is that in our, our gospel framework? You know, as we think about the, the creation, fall, rebellion, redemption, consummation, what is that piece of the gospel framework? That's the, that's the, re, the rebellion part, isn't it? And so, you know, Jesus even there isn't afraid to kind of bring sin up. And, uh, you know, I mean, the, the conversation doesn't go much on, beyond that. She changes the subject quick, you know. Um, but, uh, but Jesus uh, is not afraid to go there and, and talk about that reality. And so I think that kind of models for us as well. There, you know, we, we need to be um, gracious and sensitive in the ways that we do this, but let's not be afraid of talking about the bad news either. Um, I love this also. You know, Jesus, um, the woman at the well is like asking Jesus questions about which temple she's to worship at. And so, you know, um, he actually engages her question. He, he doesn't say, you know what, I've got more important stuff to talk to you about than what you're talking about. But he uses that as an avenue to kind of, um, you know, bridge the gap of the gospel. And, and he says to her, um, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. And here's, here's as well, he's saying, you know, look particularly to, to me, which is where he's going. But, you know, he's not afraid to, to use that to kind of steer the conversation in the directions that it needs to go talking about who he is ultimately. And, uh, and, you know, Jesus always goes to hear, I who speak to you am he. And here's the big thing, okay? Ultimately, what our job is, is to point people to Jesus, okay? That, that's what our job is. And, and here's what's also freeing about doing evangelism is that um, you're not trying to make yourself impressive because the gospel is not, you know, like you need to listen to me because I'm a really big deal. <laughs> no, actually, uh, 
I'm here to be a Jesus promoter because he's a really big deal. And you know what? Jesus is the one who can actually take the weight of that. So the pressure is not all on you. And ultimately, you know, there is a, there's great joy and great freedom in sharing the gospel with people. And you know, the, the ways that you learn to do this is just uh, getting to know non-Christians. Um, you know, my, my wife and I, we've been getting to know our neighbors. Uh, we take care of their cat and they take care of our cat. And um, we get together for dinner with them and we joke around with them and we enjoy them a lot. Um, and we also recognize that they, they have something to bring to the table. Um, we pray for them. And actually this last year, we invited them to come to the Christmas Eve service and they came, which was really neat. It was really fun. And so, you know, it gave them an opportunity to hear the gospel there as well. Are they believers yet? Not yet, but we keep praying. We keep building relationship. And here's the other thing, too, that I think is so important, okay, is um, I really think that, that um, relational building, is, it's, it takes time, okay? It doesn't mean that you're going to see results overnight. Um, but as we love people, as we serve them, um, we, uh, we, we trust the Lord that he is working on their hearts and we're praying for them and we're seeing those opportunities come up where we can talk about the good news of the gospel. I had put Acts 17 up here as well, which is another great passage, uh, but we'll, uh, we'll skip that just for the sake of time as I'm watching the time. But okay, let's, let's think about this for a second. Let's do some personal interaction, um, but let's imagine like these two mechanics here. Let's say, you know, I know we don't have a, a lot of background on who they are, but as we've thought about what the gospel is, let's say they're in a conversation, they're talking about uh, things, and one of them says to the other, hey, Bill, don't you think all religions lead to God? You ever heard that one before? Yeah, I, I hear this one all the time, constantly. This is, this is the one I hear constantly. But uh, let's say you're trying to befriend this person or that you know them or work with them. What would you do if you get that question? I mean, how would you respond to that in a way that's, uh, that's gracious? What, what thoughts come to your mind? Depends what your God is. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> depends what your God is, okay. So in other words that, yeah, I mean, all... Religions lead to false gods. You know, there's, there's truth in that. Yeah. What other ways might you respond? I, I just say, uh, what does God say? Mm, okay. You get a whole lot of input on where they are at. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so actually, like, this, is, this is a really great point. Another thing to do is to actually ask more questions and kind of get a feel for for, you know, where the person's coming from. And, um, you know, the other thing, too, that you can do, <clears throat> look at the context here. What do mechanics uh, do for a living? What do, they, what do they know? They know cars. And are cars uh, put together with a certain design that you have to know if you're going to be a mechanic? Yeah, they absolutely are. You can't say, um, you know, um, I'm going to replace the radiator today and then take the transmission off. Like, it doesn't work that way. You've got to know what you're, what you're doing. And so even as you think about that context there, what, what I might do as I would think about this, is I would say, you know, um, um, <clears throat> let's, uh, let's uh, fix the transmission on that uh, Honda Accord, and uh, why don't you go ahead and take the radiator off? And, and the guy would look at me and go, you're, you're insane. What are you talking about? I'd say, well, you know, here's the thing, is that you know that the radiator means one particular thing and the transmission means another, okay? And if a car is built that way and has a design, you can't just make up whatever you want in terms of how the car works and how it functions. You know the car is a legitimate thing. In the same way, if God exists, we don't just get to make him up. 
We don't get, get to make up the ways that, that, that we get to approach him. And so the idea of all religions leading to God is something that actually we as human beings say, because it maybe makes us feel good. But you know, if God really exists and he's a person, does he not get to say um, the, way that, uh, the way that he is? And so um, I'll tell you another quick story. Um, there's a guy that I've been interacting with. That, um, he actually has never come to our church, but I've gotten to know his wife. His wife has come to our church a few times. And I took him out one night just to kind of get to know him. And um, he shared with me some of his story. I asked him a lot of questions about his life. And I'd been praying for him, praying that the Lord would open up a door for me to share the gospel with him. And uh, his name's Keith. I'll tell you, tell you that about him. And uh, he said that he was raised in the Catholic Church. Okay, so he grew up understanding the Catholic religion. And he said that he did a lot of research on religions. And, and then he made this statement to me. He said, uh, I'm a Christian, but I do believe that all religions lead to God. And I said, well, that's interesting. So that's interesting. And I just kind of continued to ask him questions. And, and I started praying as well. You know, you can do this as you're interacting with people. Just pray that the Spirit will guide you in what to say. And so he continues on with this. And he tells me some of his story. And Keith grew up in Detroit. Grew up in a very rough part of the city. And so he uh, was around, uh, actually, many of his friends that did drugs. In fact, some of them had joined gangs. And he watched several of his friends die in the streets and other things like that. And, uh, you know, as I heard some of his story, it was just, it was really overwhelming and really difficult and really hard. And so I said to Keith, I said, Keith, you know, as I've heard your story tonight, what if I was to go across to the table over here and say to these people over here that, you know what, Keith, um, um, or actually to these people that, you know, I want you to, I want to introduce you to Keith. This is my good friend that I just met. And uh, let me tell you a couple things about Keith. Keith grew up in the lap of luxury. Keith grew up and actually uh, nothing was ever wrong. He had a really easy life. Um, he made lots of money when he was a kid, and, and life was really pretty comfortable. I said, you know, if I was to introduce you that way, what would you say about me? And he looked at me, and he said, you, you would be a liar. And I said, yeah, that's exactly right, because that's not actually who you are. That's not actually your story. And so I said, you know, as you, as you say, all religions lead to God. I said, that this, is, this is the problem with that, is that actually all religions teach very different things about God. Ultimately, you know what the Bible teaches is that um, the Bible teaches that none of us actually could work our way to God. None of us, by doing all the right things, get there. And I said, really, if you were to summarize all religions of the world, and you got to be kind of careful how you do this, but I said, most of them are this. They are a ladder that you have to climb to get to God, and they give you all the different steps, and these are the things that you've got to do to get there. I said, what Christianity is, is that God came down the ladder to you in the person of Jesus. But I said, you know, ultimately, I, I just challenge you with this, is that if God really exists, then, then he exists on his terms, not on our terms. And so, you know, we talked about that. And the other thing I told him, too, is I said, Keith, um, even if you never agree with what I just told you, I will still be your friend. And, uh, and, you know, I still am his friend, you know. I don't see him all the time. He still hasn't come to our church. But you know what? Uh, I, I, that's, that's the key piece of the gospel is that, um, we're called to love those, even those that don't necessarily love us back. Isn't that what God did to us? He loved us when we were unlovable, and he transformed our hearts and brought us into his family. And so that's kind of a piece of how we think about talking about the gospel. One other example here, um, say two ladies that are sitting there, and one lady says, I'm a good mom, and I do as well as anyone else. Surely God is pleased with me in the course of conversation. How much you interact with that question? What are your thoughts on that? Okay, yeah, so, you know, all of, us, uh, all of us fall short of the glory of God. You know, that Romans 3 passage comes to mind. Sure, yeah. 
Yeah, such a key thing is that actually like your relationship to God is not something you're able to earn. Um, you can be as good as everyone else around you, but we all still fall short of, of the glory of God. In fact, I, I've used this illustration before, and I think it's a helpful one. I didn't come up with it myself. I, I basically stealed and pillaged from another pastor because I thought it was a really good illustration. But um, imagine this, okay, for example, like when people say this, that, you know, I'm kind of as good as everybody else, and, and I, it should be fine what I do before God. Um, I tell them, okay, imagine when you were a child and you got into a fight with your, with your brother or sister and you, and you punched them as a kid. What's going to happen to you? Well, you know, I'll probably get in trouble with mom and dad. Maybe I'll get grounded for a week or something like that. And they say, okay, well, let's go to the next level. Let's imagine that you punch one of your parents. What happens to you then? Well, then the punishment's going to be greater. Okay, yeah, that's a bigger deal. Uh, and then I say, okay, well, let's imagine this. Let's imagine you swing a fist at a police officer. What's going to happen to you then? Well, then I'm going to get arrested. Okay, that's going to be a big deal. Now let's go one level higher. Let's say you swing a fist at the President of the United States. Well, you're probably going to get shot. Or yeah, at the very least, you're going to go to jail for a long time. Now imagine that you've just swung a fist at the God of heaven. What's going to happen to you now? Do you see that you know, the, the levels of, of God's holiness and separation is kind of the thing that sometimes we don't understand and we don't realize, and uh, it puts into perspective that reality. And so here's the thing, too. Um, ultimately, each of us is wired different ways, all right? And God has uniquely gifted us and put us in the places to interact with different people. And so part of it is also, um, you know, learning to talk about the gospel is a big part of it. Thinking of the ways that you would summarize it to, to someone praying for your, your neighbors and your friends, but also being comfortable with being um, who God's created you to be in the way that you interact. Not all of us are going to do it exactly the same way, and that's actually okay, actually glorious before God. You know, he, is, uh, he has created us to, uh, to share. So here's what I'd like us to do. Let's take another five minutes, and uh, I want you to just kind of, in groups of two or three, talk about um, the ways that you might share the gospel. So maybe you can think of like a neighbor or somebody that you know that maybe is somebody you're going to put on your prayer list that you would pray about. And, um, and maybe one of you can kind of tell the other about uh, that person. And then I want one of you to also just try to share the gospel with them. Maybe just interact a little bit. Take about five minutes and try this out and just see what, what questions you think might come up. Or um, if you don't want to do, kind of do a role-playing game, just talk about the ways that, uh, that you might talk with your neighbors about the gospel. What, what opportunities would you pray for and what ways would you do that? So let's take about five minutes, kind of break into groups again, and then we'll, uh, we'll come back together. All right, if I can, if I can call you all back, um, we'll, uh, we'll go through. Oh, yeah. <laughs> time out. You need a little more time? It is getting late. So I, I, uh, I've got a couple more things that we'll, we'll go through quickly and, and kind of wrap up here. All right. Um, all right, so last, uh, lastly, uh, you know, when we think about this passage, okay, where's the Apostle Paul when he says, uh, um, you know, pray for me that the God will open a door to the word? Uh, he's in prison. Now, if there's ever a place that I would kind of go, you know what, I, I, uh, I get a break now. I'm in prison now. So, you know, I'm not going to pray that the Lord will give me opportunities. Um, uh, you know, but Paul doesn't use that as an excuse. He says, no, even like, even now in, in sharing the gospel with others, pray for me. I'm in prison. And Paul says, you know, this location, even there is a place for me to serve and to, uh, to share the gospel. And so 
Let me talk about the Lake Nona location just a little bit and kind of how we've processed this. This is actually my community. This is, uh, this is the place where I live. This is actually not my house, but I live in a townhouse there, and uh, all of our neighbors, and uh, you know, we can get to know each other really easily. Um, the other thing that's really fun is like uh, Halloween is a great time to get to know our neighbors because they all come over. There's so many kids in my neighborhood that it's, it's really fun. I get to interact with lots of people that way, and so even things like Halloween are a great opportunity to Get to know the people that live in your neighborhood. And, um, you know, uh, we had, uh, there's another pastor that lives in my community, and he had a better idea than I had. But he, he actually had his church come over. They set up bounce houses in his front yard, and they cooked hot dogs and had all these people come over and got to know a lot of people that way. And so I went over there and hung out at their house and got to know people too. Because, uh, but, you know, just a great idea and a great opportunity to get to know folks there. Um, as we think about our community, okay, so uh, Lake Nona High School is across the street from where we go to church. There are so many schools, like I, I said, this is Valencia College, and there's also the UCF Medical School. Um, one of the big deals in our community is we think about what people care about and what their life is all about is education. We're in medical city, and so everybody's got to be like top educated, they're very smart, they're very scientific. In fact, um, Tavistock, who developed Lake Nona, um, didn't leave any room in their development plans for churches to be built. Why? Because they're like, we're an educated community. We don't need churches. We don't, we don't really want them here. Now, uh, there, there's church plants in every one of these schools that are there in, in Lake Nona. And praise the Lord, we know the gates of hell won't stand against the church, but um, that's our context. That's, that's kind of where we live. A couple of the other things that are a big deal in Lake Nona. What are most people doing on Sunday morning instead of going to church? They're running. That's, that, I mean, you see this all the time. There's running clubs in Lake Nona. There's bicycling clubs. And um, actually, we've got a number of people in our church that are part of some of these clubs. But this is a big part of life in Lake Nona is exercise. In fact, um, the YMCA is sort of the central hub of life in Lake Nona. I would say if there's one place where everybody hangs out, it's the YMCA. And so one of the things I did, like I, I'm not on my HOA, but I am part of the YMCA missions uh, team. And so like, we've got a team there at the YMCA that helps do plan things for the community. So we're doing Operation Christmas Child this year. And I, I got on that team because I'm like, this is a great opportunity. This is where everybody hangs out. As expensive as Lake Nona is, I'll be honest, I should have a gym membership there. I can't afford it. It's too stinking expensive. But, uh, but I, I found a way in by being part of the, the team there. And you know what? Um, I would encourage you, getting on your HOA is actually a really good idea getting involved in the things that are in your community. Find out the places where people hang out and go hang out there and get to know folks. And so, you know, maybe a gym membership is a good idea. But, I mean, there's just picture after picture I could show you of Lake Nona. Health and fitness is a big idol for them there. This is the way that we live and this is what we do. Um, another one is actually children and family, which is a beautiful and wonderful thing. But, um, but uh, you know, even as we've thought about this as a church, Children's ministries are a very, very important part of what we have to do because there's so many young families that live there and uh, very diverse families as well, which is part of the neat aspect of living in Lake Nona. But, uh, but it also can be kind of like a controlling idol. Like um, whatever the kids need is what we're going to do. That's, that's how uh, life works there. Um, the other one that I think is, uh, is, is true is this is uh, Laureate Park, which is one of our neighborhoods in Lake Nona. This house here is like over $300,000, and basically every house in that area is like that, and it's very, very expensive to live there. Um, this is one of like the social functions in Lake Nona where they do like a, a gathering of business people and stuff, and let me just ask you this question. As you look at that picture, what does that tell you about the community itself? 
wealthy, highly professional. Um, so, for example, you know, um, one of the things I recognized, <clears throat> um, most of the churches, as I kind of looked around Lake Nona, I mean, there's some really great churches there, but a lot of the pastors kind of, kind of preach in um, blue jeans, and, and um, they look very, very casual. And what I recognized is actually this is a place where I probably need to wear a, a button-up shirt and tie and, and wear khaki pants and things like that because that's the context we live in. It's very professional. And so, um, so that's part of it, you know. And I don't have any problem with those other pastors that don't do that. But, you know, as I looked at the context, this is, this is part of what it means to reach out there. But it's also one of the idols. Money's a big idol for us in Lake Nona. It's the thing that everybody thinks is, is life for them. And uh, honestly, I, I think it's, it's, a, it's part of our context as Americans that, that money is a big part of all of our idols, that we live to, to worship the almighty buck in many ways. But you know, as we think about our, our Lake Nona community, this is one of the things that we process about. Professionalism, wealth is, uh, is the big, uh, big thing. All right, and then, uh, then the other thing that we notice is that there's a lot of like, restaurants and social clubs and places where people hang out all the time. This is uh, Nona Blue, and this is actually one of my favorite restaurants to go to because I get to know the waiters there and, and other people there, and it's kind of like the place where everybody hangs out. And so, you know, kind of finding those avenues of places that people gather and, and get together is one of the things. This is 310 Nona. It's another new restaurant that went in. This is the farmer's market. Remember, we're a health community. Everybody runs, everybody exercises, and uh, everybody goes to the fresh market. Um, I mean, literally, it's just always jam-packed with people, and it's, it's one of the big parts of our community. So um, Lake Nona Nights, belonging and relationships is a big aspect of Lake Nona. And so that's one of the things that we felt like that's where we build as a church. We're good at relationships. We're good at inviting people in and kind of, kind of building that way. And so that's one of the ways that we serve in the place where we live. And uh, as we wrestle with this question, because, okay, Lake Nona is one way, Port Orange is different. So, you know, you need to think about your own context and you ask some other place questions. First, um, you ask the place questions of yourselves as a church. How has God equipped us? What are the things that are our strengths? And here's the thing. Every church has weaknesses. Lake Nona has plenty of them, UPC Lake Nona. Um, But we also have some strengths that God's given us. And I guarantee you that your church has weaknesses, but you also have strengths. Don't try to just, um, you know, one of the things that you can do is you can try to just like rebuild on all the weaknesses and make them better. And yes, there's always room for improvement, but look at the things that God has gifted you in and what you're good at. And build on that. And, uh, and actually, you'll probably be more excited about the, the work of the mission of the church if you do that. So relationships is one of ours. Um, as you think about yourselves as individuals, um, think about the things that you're good at and how you might reach out to neighbors. So um, I, if, if I wasn't a pastor, you know what I would probably do for a living? Is I would be an auto mechanic. Because I love working on cars. And uh, I, it's something that I've, I've done since I was in college. Um, I've, I've done uh, air conditionings and radiators and all kinds of different stuff. And actually, like, I've repaired, um, I, I've brought people over to my house. And even, like, as neighbors, as I see them working on their cars and they've got a problem or something like that, I'll get together with them and I serve them in that way. And actually, that's a lot of fun. I really enjoy that. Some of you may go, I would never do that. That's the worst thing ever. But you know what? Um, that's kind of my personality, and I like that. And so that's an easy avenue for me to reach out. Each of you, there are things that you're good at. Some of you are, are very, very extroverted. You love talking to people. And so, you know, so here's the thing. Even as you think about ways you can reach out to your neighbors, I mean, if, you, if you're an extrovert and you love talking to people, well, then, then you're, you're one of the key people for uh, doing that. But maybe you say, you know what, I'm a horrible cook, and I, uh, I'm not really good at hosting things. Well, find those in the church that are really good at that, 
and then, uh, and then do uh, get-togethers together. So, um, you know, what I encourage our introverts to do is invite the extroverts from our church to come over when you invite your neighbors over. And, uh, and it gives you a chance to kind of interact. If you don't like talking the whole time, then cook the meal and invite others to come and, uh, and, and you know, work together as, uh, as the body of Christ in those ways. We have a woman in our church who, uh, who loves to teach the scriptures, and she's really good at getting to know her neighbors. So what she did is she started actually a Bible study using the same curriculum that we use in our, our life group Bible studies. But uh, because she knew all of her neighbors, uh, she told me she was going to start this Bible study, and she says, I don't want you to announce it at church because I don't want anybody from church to come. And I said, well, okay, that's interesting. She said, all I want is, is actually my neighbors who don't know Jesus to come. And so she's good at that. She likes doing it. And that's one of the things that she started to kind of reach out to her neighbors many of whom have come to church. We, um, none of them have confessed Christ yet, but they still go to her Bible study. And so that's been one of the ways that she's reached into the area. The other uh, good question to ask about Port Orange as you think about your own city is who in this community is being overlooked? And one of the things we realized in Lake Nona is that as much as wealth is like the, the big thing uh, in Lake Nona, you know who's getting overlooked? is homeless people. And actually, like Orlando is crawling with homeless people. And the other thing that's happening in Lake Nona is because Lake Nona thinks of itself as such a wealthy community that when people suddenly get in fi financially strapped or they can't afford their uh, you know, enormous house payments and other things like that, they, they don't know what to do and they start calling churches for help. And so actually we've built relationships with those that the community has overlooked because Lake Nona doesn't even have like a homeless shelter or anything like that in our community yet. And so there's a huge avenue to, uh, to reach out to, uh, to those that are in need right there in our community. And so as you think about Port Orange, what are the needs that are getting overlooked here? What are the needs nobody's paying attention to? You know, pray about that, give some thought to that, do some research on it, and that uh, can help you in, in that process. Last but not least, you know, as, as the Apostle Paul says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so you know how you ought to answer each person. Know that as, uh, as we follow Christ, um, knowing Jesus is, is the greatest thing the, that is, is possible in the world, okay? You know, and, uh, and part of what the idea of, being, of your speech being seasoned with salt is that just like, you know, if you have a steak and you season it with salt and pepper, it tastes all that much better to your mouth. In the same way, as we talk about Jesus, as we think about the needs that are in our community, we want to present Jesus in a way that, that people's mouths water for him, where they might even say, you know what, I don't believe that the gospel that you believe is true, but I really wish it was. I really wish it was. Your Jesus sounds so good that I want to, uh, want to know him. Okay, so um, what we'll do is... Um, Let's just take maybe three or four minutes and talk about this, and then, uh, then I'll close this in prayer. So I'm going to talk about this as a group, and, and I'm going to kind of just leave you with those questions to chew on as you think about Port Orange and what the Lord has called us to do. So um, why don't we do that? Let's just take two or three minutes talking to your groups again um, about some of those questions. What are the needs that are being overlooked in your community? Also, personally, what gifts has the Lord given you that excite you in terms of serving your community individually and as a church? and how much you proclaim Jesus' season with salt to your community. Do this. Just take one of those three questions, whichever one that you want to answer the most, and let's just talk about them briefly.
Let's let's wrap up in about a minute. So if you can kind of finalize what your what your thoughts are. if I can start to grab, grab your attention back. Um, let's do this. I hope, uh, I hope this evening has kind of generated conversation, and um, um, it may have it brought even more questions up to your minds than, than you have answers for, and that's all right. Um, you know, even as you process some of these big questions, okay, um, recognize that um, there are limits to the scope of what you can do, and that's, that's just reality. So even for one example is... Um, we have so many people call our church for money and, and help that we've created kind of a, a, a boundary of about five miles. So we look at like where we are in the community and what is a five mile radius around where we are. And we try to you know, kind of meet with those people that are within that five mile radius. I don't know if that's the perfect way to do it or a good way or a bad way, but you know what? We just recognize we can't do it all. And these are, this is the community where God's placed us and that's, that's what we want to do. So you know, you wrestle with those types of questions, and that's good. And um, my hope is that this uh, generates thoughts and encourages you. Um, I think the Lord is uh, doing a great work here in your church and wants to use you. And uh, I just hope that, uh, that as you think about these things, as it generates questions, it'll encourage you to uh, continue to walk with the Lord, trust that he's more interested in saving people than any of us are, and he is about that work and will use you for that purpose. So thank you all very much for your attentiveness and for, for uh, allowing me to be here tonight such a privilege and I'd, I'd love to just close this in prayer quick and then uh, is there any other instructions you'd like to give Andrew or okay certainly yeah if you have any thoughts or questions I'd be happy to stick around and talk with any of you that would like to like to talk as well so let me let me pray for us Heavenly Father Lord I thank you for Spruce Creek Presbyterian Church Thank you, Lord, for, uh, for this group and for their desire to see people reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, you have placed them here in Port Orange, and we know, Lord, that, uh, that apart from you, we can do nothing. So I do pray, Lord, that you would equip them by your spirit for the work that you've called them to here in Port Orange. We pray, Lord, for those that, uh, that they uh, will be able to reach with the gospel. I pray, Lord, that as they think about prayer for, for people in their neighborhoods, that you would bring particular people to mind. Help them to, uh, to build relationships and to, to also take comfort in the fact that you are uh, the God who saves and you uh, use us as vessels for that purpose. Lord, encourage uh, everyone that's here 
in the work of, uh, of the church, of, uh, of being salt and light to the community that you have placed us in. We pray that you would build the church in Lake Nona and that you would build the church here in Spruce Creek. And Lord, we also pray that more church plants would even arise here and continue this great work uh, as all these new people and new faces are moving into uh, Florida. We thank you for placing us here among the nations. Help us to reach out well for the sake of the gospel. It's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. Amen.